Welcome, and thanks for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org. Today's scripture reading is Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning, Harvest family. It's good to, uh, good to see you here today. And for those of you that uh, are worshiping with us at home or on the road, wherever you might be, it's good to have you with us as well. But it's great to be here. And uh, thanks again to Wes and the worship team for leading us today. Um, it's a great privilege to be able to come and uh, have these folks really direct our, our thoughts and our hearts, um, our energies toward the Lord. So we, uh, we appreciate greatly uh, the work that they do and the ministry that they have. You know, we as human beings, I think either consciously or maybe sometimes subconsciously, we're always seeking answers, and oftentimes answers to some very, very fundamental questions in life. And those questions are, who I am or who am I? Uh, where do I fit in? Uh, what am I here for? Again, I don't know that we're always aware that we're thinking about those questions, but whether consciously or unconsciously, I think we're always facing different circumstances in life, thinking about those questions. Who am I? Where do I fit in? What am I here for? The question, who am I, really refers to how we kind of think about ourselves, how we think about ourselves. We might say that I'm a carpenter or I'm a teacher we might say, I'm an athlete or a student. I'm an engineer or a nurse. I'm a, I'm a stay-at-home mom. And all these references to ourselves, they all have to do with our, our identity. And as life changes, we are constantly reframing not only in our minds and our own thinking, but also in our communication and conversation with other people who we are. But the sad thing is, Nearly all the words of identification that we most commonly use in reference to ourselves, they tend to focus more often on what we do and not really on who we are. So there's a lot that goes on with that question, who am I? The second question, where do I fit in? I think it's from the time that we're able to walk until the time we get to the place where we need to use a, a walker. 
Uh, we, we find ourselves uh, joining clubs and becoming members of, of various groups. And we buy and we wear certain styles of clothing to communicate to others, hey, this is where I fit in. You know, we proudly wear our green and white to let people know that we are an MSU Spartan fan. Or we wear our maize and blue to let people know that we're a, a University of Michigan Wolverine. Or we wear our Chicago Cubs baseball cap or our Detroit Tigers sweatshirt. We all want to belong. We all want others to know what family or what community or what team or what group or what political party or what church or what ethnicity we're part of. We all want to tell people, hey, here is where I fit in. This is my tribe. This is my, my family. When it comes to the third question that we often think about, what am I here for? I suppose there would be a number of different ways that we could kind of reframe that question. We could say, what am I on this planet for? Or we could say, what am I supposed to do with my life? Or we could ask, what is my significance? So my point is this. We spend much of our lives trying to understand, trying to define, and trying to communicate, so to speak, who we are, our identity, where we fit in, our security, and uh, what we're here for, our significance in this life. We're simply trying to come to grips with who is the real me. Who is the real me? How do I come to grips with who is the real me? How do I understand my, my personhood? Well, wouldn't it be great to discover that the most attractive person in the world is the person that God uniquely made you to be? Wouldn't it be great to just come to that conclusion, to just realize that, to just come to grips with that and understand that? That the, the most attractive person in the world is simply the person that God uniquely made me to be. Wouldn't it be great to be able to look in the mirror and like what we see because we see ourselves the way God sees us in terms of who we are, in terms of where we fit in, and in terms of what we're here for? Well, the good news is, that's where we're headed this morning. As we continue in our study of Romans chapter 12, a few weeks ago we looked at verses 1 and 2. This morning, and Lord willing, next Sunday morning, we want to look at verses 3 through 8. And we want to talk about these three foundational questions because I believe that in Romans 12, 3 through 8, we find God's answers to those three foundational questions. In verse 3, we discover who I am. In verses 4 and 5, we discover where do I fit in. And in verses 6 to 8, we discover, what am I here for? So in these six verses, the Apostle Paul answers these three foundational questions in the form of a command in verse 3, in the form of a reason for the command in verse 4 and 5, and then in verse 6 and 8, we have the specifics for how we are to flesh out that command. That's what we're looking at today. This text reveals... That if we are authentically following Jesus Christ, if we have an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ, we have a new identity, verse 3, a new security, verse 4 and 5, and a new eternal significance, verses 6 to 8. In other words, in verse 3, we get a new way to think about ourselves. In verse 4 and 5, we discover a new family that we belong to. And in verses 6 to 8, we discover a new purpose that God gives us to fulfill. 
So that's what we're going to be talking about over the course of these next two Sunday mornings. So let's begin with the first question. Who am I? Who am I? Or maybe we could phrase it this way. Who is the real me? Who is the real me? As we come to verse 3 of Romans 12, we discover that in Christ we have a new identity. We discover that in Christ we are to have a new way of thinking about ourselves. And in verse 3, we discover three crucial realities that we need to learn if we're going to understand our new identity and if we're going to have a new way to think about ourselves. So what are those three crucial realities? Well, here's number one. I need to think accurately about myself. I need to think accurately about myself. Look at the beginning of verse 3. Paul starts, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Now, I think we, we've all been around people, and we've probably struggled with this at times ourselves. but we've all been around people who sort of carry themselves with an air of superiority. They sort of think of themselves as, I'm God's gift to this family, or I'm God's gift to this church, or I'm God's gift to this school, or I'm God's gift to this team, or I'm God's gift to this or that or whatever. We've all been around those kind of people. And we all have experienced frustration towards someone who's not treating us with the importance or with the respect that we think that we ought to have or we ought to receive. Or we've all experienced the impatience that we feel when someone is not grasping what we're trying to communicate and what we want them to do, and they're not doing it as quickly as we'd like them to do it. We've all experienced that. Well, There are these and many other more subtle forms of superiority thinking that this text, that this verse is prohibiting. It's saying that if we're going to understand ourselves, if we're going to think properly about ourselves, if we're going to get our new identity, then we ought not to think of ourselves more highly than is correct, than is accurate. But you know, the command that's given here in this verse, it's not simply a prohibition. It's not simply saying this is what not to do. So it's not just a negative. There's also a positive. Look at the verse again. It says, but we are to think with sober judgment. Now, when you see that word sober in the text of your Bible, think of the word accurate or think of the word sound. What Paul is writing, what God is telling us is that we are to think of ourselves accurately. We are to think of ourselves with sound thinking or sound judgment, with sober judgment. So there's not only a danger in seeing ourselves with an inflated view, but there's also a danger in seeing ourselves with a deflated view. There are those whose actions and words and body language, they kind of scream, I'm unworthy. I don't measure up. You really wouldn't want to be around me if you really knew who I was. I can never do anything right. I'm just a a nobody that's going nowhere. And I think part of the point of this verse is this, that whether I'm thinking too highly of myself or too lowly of myself, the result is still the same. And the result is that I'm always thinking about myself. I'm just always thinking about myself. An inaccurate view of self, whether too high or too low, 
always results in a preoccupation with self. And God, he wants us to think accurately. He wants us to think soundly. He wants us to think soberly about ourselves, not too highly inflated, not too lowly deflated. So how do we do that? How do we think accurately about ourselves? Well, that brings us to the second thing that we need to clarify, that we need to understand, and that is that I need to understand who I really am in Christ. If I'm not going to think too highly, and if I'm not going to think too lowly, if I'm going to think accurately about myself, then I need to understand who I really am in Christ. Look at the last portion of the verse. It reads this, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So in other words, I'm not to think too highly of myself. I'm not to think too lowly of myself, but I am to think of myself according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now, the word faith here used at the end of verse 3, it's not a verb form of the word. It's not talking about to believe in something or to have faith in something. It's not an action word in, in the context here. It's actually more of a noun. And it's really speaking of the objective reality of where our faith gets us or where our faith takes us. The measure of my faith. If I were to measure out my faith, where would I end up? What am I as a result of my faith? It's the measure of my faith. It's the objective reality of who we are in Christ, the content of our faith, what is true of us because of our faith-based relationship with Christ. So the measure of faith that God gives us refers to the standard by which we are to accurately, soundly, soberly evaluate ourselves. So this phrase, the measure of faith, is really kind of a summary of everything that Paul has been writing about in the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans. In the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans, Paul talks about what it is to be outside of Christ, that if we are outside of Christ, that we are dead in our sinful depravity, that we are alienated from God. We are facing his eternal condemnation, but in Christ, we are rescued. In Christ, we are declared righteous. In Christ, we are, we are justified before God by grace through faith. In Christ, we are adopted into God's family. In Christ, we are given a down payment of our, on our eternal inheritance in the person of the Holy Spirit of God. In Christ, we are totally new creations. In Christ, we have a totally new identity. In Christ, we become entirely new people. What does Paul write in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17? He says this about being in Christ. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Not someday will become, but he or she is a new creation, present tense. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So in Christ, we have a new standing with God. In Christ, 
We have a new identity. In Christ, we have a new position with God. And we need to see ourselves through the lens of who we are in Christ. We need to understand who we really are in Christ. Not to think too highly of ourselves, not to think too lowly of ourselves, but to think accurately of ourselves according to the measure of faith, where our faith has gotten us, how our faith has measured itself out in our lives, who we are in Christ. You may have heard of uh, uh, Jerry Bridges. Jerry Bridges has, uh, was kind of an author in residence for Navigators for a number of years. And over the course of those years, he's written probably dozens of different books. One of the little books that he wrote is a little book called Who Am I? Uh, let me just kind of quote a couple of things from this little book. Jerry Bridges writes this. The answer to the question, who am I, is to be found neither in our achievements nor in our failures nor in the evaluations of others, but in Christ alone. It is he, as our representative before God, who lived a perfect life we could never live and died the death that we deserve to die and now sits at the right hand of God interceding for us and I suspect cheering us on. So for every look we take at ourselves in our daily experience, Take two looks at who we are in Christ. Because then we won't have too high of a view. We won't have too low of a view. We'll have an accurate view. This is who I am in Christ. So we need to understand who we are in Christ. And then the third thing that we need to clarify and that this verse clarifies is that I need to see myself the way God sees me. I need to see myself the way God sees me. Now, let me say this, and I want to be careful how I say this because I don't want to say this or or you to take this the wrong way. But when it comes to following Christ, we tend to focus more on the how-tos of following Christ. And that's not a horrible thing, all right? That's not a bad thing. But we tend, when it comes to following Christ, we tend to focus on how to pray and how to read the Bible and how to study the Bible, and how to share my faith story, and how to share the good news, and how to serve others. We're encouraged to get involved in various activities so that we understand how to grow spiritually. And folks, that is all well and good. I'm not saying it's bad to to know how to pray, and bad to, to understand how to read the Bible, and how to study it, and bad to understand how to serve. That's all well and good. But it shouldn't be the only thing. Because if it is, then we begin to think of the Christian life and we begin to think of following Christ as simply trying to please God through the how-tos, through my performance. Well, how does God think of me today? Well, how did I pray this week? Well, that's how God thinks of me today. Well, how did I study the Word and read my Bible this week? Because that's important because the how-tos all relate to how God thinks about me today. Well, He doesn't think about me that way. The truth is, we need, to, we need instruction on how to see ourselves as God sees us. And he sees us in Christ. We need to understand what it means to be in Christ so we understand how God sees us. We need to learn that we are already pleasing to God. That we don't need to perform for God. We need to understand that he can never love us anymore nor can he ever love us any less. It is absolutely impossible because he never changes. 
His love never goes up and down towards us. His grace never changes toward us. It just never happens. It's not depending upon the how-tos of today or tomorrow or the next. Again, a, a little quote from Jerry Bridges' book. He says this, My worst days are never so bad that I am beyond the reach of God's grace. And my best days are never so good that I am beyond the need of God's grace. Every day of our lives should be a day of relating to God on the basis of grace alone. Folks, that is the only way I'll stop thinking too highly or too lowly of myself. That is the only way I'll ever think accurately about myself is if I relate to God each day on the basis of grace alone. On the basis of grace alone. Let me just let me share with you just a few other things that, that, that Jerry shares in this book, all right? I'm just going to read these quickly and just kind of listen in, just a couple of things here. Jerry writes this, By the work of God... I am no longer in Adam. I am in Christ through a union that is both representative, in other words, Jesus assumes all our responsibility to obey the law of God and also assumes our penalty of death for not obeying, and it's a living relationship. Through the Holy Spirit, we're able to draw upon the nourishment and the power of the living Christ to enable us to live the Christian life. Jerry writes, I am justified. In other words, I am righteous before God. Why? Because God has charged my sin to Christ. And God has credited to me his absolute perfect righteousness. Jerry writes, I'm an adopted child of God. I'm a child of the king. I have the privilege in this life of an intimate father-child relationship with God. And I look forward with expectant hope to an eternal inheritance that is far more glorious than anything that I can imagine. Listen to this. In Christ, I am a new creation. A new creation. I have a new heart. I have a new spirit. I have a new identity before God. I've been delivered from the domain of sin, and I have been united to Christ I am always able to resist temptation, but when I do sin, I am welcomed at the cross. Why? Because all my sins have been forgiven in Christ. He writes this, I am a saint. I don't belong to myself. I belong to God. I have been purchased. I have been declared holy by God. I have been set apart for God. Therefore, God is ever at work to cause me to grow in spiritual maturity, a process in which he calls me to cooperate in every way out of gratitude for his mercy. He says, I am a, a servant of Jesus Christ. By God's grace, I serve him by serving others in the particular role or roles to which he is, in his providential wisdom, has called me. And then I love this one. In this life, I am always, uh, I am and always will be in this life imperfect. I'm a saved sinner. I'm seeking to grow in holiness and relating to God on the basis of grace that is mine because I am in Christ. I am not yet perfect. I am not yet perfect. I'm not yet perfect. So here's a little assignment. And the assignment is this. If we're going to get a better grip on who we really are, 
And if we're going to get a better grip on who we are in Christ so that I don't think too highly or too lowly of myself, but I think accurately of myself, the assignment is this. Read this little book. Read this little book. You say, but I don't have a copy of that little book. Well, I'm glad you're here today because at the end of the service, you're going to get a little copy of this book and it's not going to cost you anything. It's just a little 90-page book, all right? Jerry Bridges writes so practically, so down to earth. I, I literally think a young teenager could easily understand what he's writing. I mean, the chapters are only like six pages long. You know, it's only like four inches by six inches, you know? Now, there aren't any pictures, but, you know, I mean, get it and read it. Read it as a family. Read it as a small group, all right? That's your assignment. Don't want to think too highly of ourselves. Don't want to think too lowly of ourselves. Want to think accurately about ourselves. Want to think according to the measure of faith, who I am in Christ, seeing myself the way God sees me. How critical that is. How critical that is. Well, once we learn to think accurately about ourselves, verse 3, and we have this new way to think about who I am because I have a new identity in Christ and a new position with God, then the next two verses, verses 4 and 5, tell us the reason why I need to think accurately about myself. Look at verse 4. It begins with the word for. In other words, don't think too highly of yourself. Don't think too lowly of yourself. Think accurately of yourself according to the measure of faith. Why? Because, as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are actually one body in Christ, and we are individually members one of another. In these two verses... The Apostle Paul makes a comparison between the human body and the body of Christ. And he does so for one reason. And that reason is to answer the second foundational question that we're talking about. Where do I fit in? Where, where do I fit in? In verse 4 and 5, we discover that in Christ, I have a new family that I belong to. And therefore, in Christ, I have a brand new security. I'm part of a new body, a new family. I have a new security. So understanding my new identity is essential because without understanding who I am in Christ, I can never come to grips with the new family that I belong to. I can never come to grips with where I fit in and my security. And so once again, in verses 4 and 5, we need to understand three crucial realities if we're going to accurately answer the question, where do I fit in? And here's the first crucial reality. Every follower of Christ has a role to fulfill. Not a handful, not a few, not 50% or 60% or 80% or even 90% or even 99%, but every follower of Christ has a role to fulfill. I mean, I don't think Paul's point could be, be any more straightforward than it is in this text. He's saying that as the human body has various individual parts with specific roles, and those individual parts, they need each other, and those individual roles, they need to be filled, so we, as members of the spiritual body of Christ, have specific roles that we need to work together, specific roles, therefore we need to work together if we're going to function effectively. 
So as the various parts of the human body operate in interdependent unity, so the various parts of the body of Christ, you and I, are to function together with interdependent unity. I mean, let me illustrate it this way. It's, uh, it's almost summertime, right? So we think baseball. We think softball in summertime, don't we? Well, think of a baseball team or a softball team. And think of how important it is on a baseball team or a softball team for that, those team members to act with interdependent unity. On the one hand, you need the pitcher. And the pitcher needs to throw strikes. But you also need a catcher. And the catcher needs to call the, the pitches and, and handle the pitches. And then you need the, the infielders and the outfielders, and they need to provide good defense. And then you need the batters. They need to hit the ball and get on base and score runs. And then you have umpires, and they make sure the rules are followed, and they make rulings on the field. And then you have managers and coaches, and they try to bring the, bring the best out of the team members and put the very best team on the field. They're all working together in interdependent unity. And so the reason we need to think accurately about ourselves and know who we really are is that each one of us has a role to fulfill in this supernatural community that is called the body of Christ. Each of us have a role to fulfill because we are in Christ. We're in the church. You have a role to fulfill, a role that no one else in the body of Christ can fulfill like you. You're needed. You have abilities. You have a background. You have experiences. You have personality. You have strengths that no one else has in that measure except you. But you also have needs. You also have hurts. Hurts that God wants to support. Pains that God wants to heal as you interact with other members of the body of Christ. That's how it works together. So if we think too highly of ourselves, we won't see our need for other people. But if we think too lowly of ourselves, we won't see ourselves as being able to minister to other people. So we need to see ourselves accurately, who we are in Christ, who we are as God sees us. And when we do that, when we do that, we'll not only be open to receiving love from others, because we know that we have weaknesses and needs that have to be ministered to, but we'll also see ourselves with strengths and being able to minister and to meet the needs of others. We'll not only receive love, but we'll also give love as God has designed. So that's why these two verses are laying out for us the reason for the command. Why do I see myself accurately? Because then I'll see my need for others, and I'll see how I can minister to others. I mean, just think for a moment again of, of a baseball team or a softball team. What if the pitchers think too highly of themselves, right? The pitcher walks out to the man and mound, and the pitcher kind of looks around at the infielders and Looks out, uh, looks at the outfielders and looks into the dugout at the managers and coaches and kind of thinks to, to himself or herself, where would they be without me? I mean, this team would be a bunch of losers if it wasn't for me. If it wasn't for the, the quality of my pitching, if it wasn't for the, the speed of my pitches, if it wasn't for the accuracy of my pitches, I mean, where would these people be without me? Or what about if the outfielders? What about if they thought too lowly of themselves? And they're out in the outfield, and they're just kind of standing out there in the outfield thinking, what, what do I do? You know, what if the ball is hit? Do I, am I going to run this way or run this way? Am I going to get the right jump on the ball? I, I don't think I am. You know, and if I get the ball hit to me, I mean, what base do I throw it to? Where's the cutoff, man? I, 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 just, I don't know what to do. I, I, I just can't do it. Well, if the pitchers think too highly of themselves or the fielders think too lowly of themselves, I mean, it just doesn't work. You can't play the game. 
All of the players need to think accurately about themselves. Not too highly, not too lowly. But they need to see themselves as needing each other, but also helping each other as they play the game. So here's the second thing that we need to clarify. I must guard, we must guard against the comparison game. We must guard against the comparison game. So just as God has given each of us strengths to allow us to contribute to the lives of others, we also have inherent weaknesses. And our weaknesses remind us that we need other people. Our weaknesses actually create opportunities to teach us humility by allowing other people to serve us, allowing other people to speak truth into our lives. Our weaknesses demand that we become dependent on other people by being open in our relationships with those people. When we're, when we're unclear about that, and when we're unclear about, about who we are, when we have a distorted view of ourselves, we tend to compare ourselves to others. We compare our differences rather than appreciate our differences. We compare ourselves to others rather than realizing that we were made different by God's design so that we would complement each other. It's all about complementing each other, not comparing ourselves to each other. It's all about supporting each other. Again, God has given some to be pitchers. He's given them great arm strength, great ball control. God's given others to be infielders with great agility and quickness. He's given others to be outfielders who have great jump on the ball and awareness of the base runners. They're not all on the field to compete against each other or to compare themselves to each other. They're there to complement and support each other. It's not an issue of inferiority. It's not an issue of superiority. It's really an issue. It's not an issue of comparison. It's an issue of dependence, interdependent unity. It's true with baseball. It's true with softball. It's true with the body of Christ. It's true with the church. The truth is we are one body. We are a unity. And that body has many members. There is diversity. We're all different, but we all share the same purpose, the same function of serving each other and being served. So you may have felt rejected by your family. You may have actually been rejected by your family. You may have been rejected or felt rejected at school. You may have been rejected by a team or a club. You may have been rejected by people at work or even by those who claim the name of Christ somewhere in your past. But God wants you to know that you belong to his family. You belong to his family. He wants you to know that you have strengths that he wants to use to meet the needs of others and that you have weaknesses, you have needs, and that he has prepared others to meet those needs. It's not an issue of comparison. It's an issue of complementing each other. And all of that brings us to our kind of our third kind of truth that we need to clarify, and that is, it, that is this. Clarifying our strengths and weaknesses is essential. We've got to understand where we're strong. We've got to understand where we're weak. Because where we're strong is how we serve others, and where we're weak is how, how it is that we're served. So let's get into that. A couple of questions that we can ask ourselves is this. What are my strengths, and how am I using them in my relationships with others right now? I mean, think about your home environment. 
Or think about your work environment, or think about the church environment, or, or think about um, uh, the environments of your life at school. And just think about those environments and say, you know, what are my strengths that I bring to the table at school? How am I, how am I, um, how am I using them in my relationship with others right now? What about at home? Or what about in my work environment? What are the strengths that I bring to the table at work? And how am I using them in my relationships with other people at work? And then we need to ask ourselves this question. What are my weaknesses? How am I inviting other people at home or at school or at work or at church? How am I inviting other people into my life as I make myself open and I ask for their help for my weaknesses? Folks, that's, that's authenticity. That's the body of Christ. That's interdependent unity. That's how we are to live together. So if we don't know our strengths, and if we don't know our weaknesses, then on the one hand, we'll be reticent to help anyone because I don't know my strengths. We'll be reluctant to receive help because I don't really understand my weaknesses. So without overanalyzing this and out, without getting kind of OCD about this, here's another little assignment that you might want to try. It's kind of a four-part assignment, all right? Number one, write. Write down your top three strengths. Three things that, that you're good at. Not talking about spiritual gifts here, all right? Just three things you're good at. You know, I'm good at making pies, all right? I'm good at, uh, um, you know, at sports, you know? I'm good. Just, just write down, write down, get a piece of paper, write down three things that I'm good at. Don't write down three things I want to be good at, <laughs> okay? Three things that I'm good at, all right? As best you understand them, all right? And then write down three things that I'm weak at, my top three weaknesses, all right? Three things that always seem to cause me to struggle. I'm just not good at that. I'm not good at it at work, or I'm not good at it at school, not good at it at home, you know, not good at it even at church. You know, here's three things that I'm good at, strengths, but here's three other things that I'm just not good at, all right? And don't get, again, too obsessive and compulsive about that. Just kind of think through three strengths and three weaknesses. Write them down. And then the second part of the assignment is this, ask. Ask two friends, people that know you, what they think are your top three strengths and top three weaknesses. Don't show them what you wrote down. Don't let them see what the other person wrote down. Then take what you wrote down and what each of your two friends wrote down and compare them to each other. Look at, look at those. Look at what has been written down. And that brings us to part three of the assignment, surrender. Spend some time quietly with the Lord, thanking him for both your strengths and your weaknesses, both as you see them and as those closest to you see them. Thank him for those. And then surrender, offer up to God your strengths to serve his purposes. And offer up to God your weaknesses to receive love and grace from others. And do it every day. Do it over and over and over again. Every day we get up and say, God, I'm so grateful for who you have made me in Christ. I'm so thankful for the strengths and the weaknesses you've given me, strengths to serve others, weaknesses to receive grace from others. 
Lord, help me today to use my strengths to serve other people. Help me, Lord, to see my weaknesses so that I can receive grace from other people. I surrender both my strengths and weaknesses to you again today. And then the last part of the assignment is this. Encourage. Encourage. Jot a note to someone whose strengths have been an expression of God's love and grace to a need in your life. In other words, don't, write, don't just jot a note saying, love you, bro. Okay, well, I'm glad you love me. You know, that's nice. Say, love you, bro, because. Okay? Because last Tuesday in the morning, you did this to me. You ministered grace to me. You helped me. Again, don't overthink it, all right? Jot a note and thank someone that they took their strengths and they used that to minister to a weakness in your life. And then jot another note. Jot a note to someone who has allowed you to minister to their weaknesses. Jot a note to that person that, 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 person that you know, called you last week and said, could you come over and help me? Or, or, or said, I'm not doing good on this assignment at school. Or I'm, I'm struggling with this project at home. Or I'm trying to, trying to do this in the community. It's just not working. And, 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 and you came over and, and you help with my weaknesses. So jot a note to someone who allowed you to minister from your strengths to their weaknesses. And jot a note to someone who took their strengths and kind of came, or however I was saying that, you know, you'll get it, right? All right? Just dot those notes, all right? Jot a note. Jot that down. So write, ask, surrender, encourage. Folks, we don't want to be just hearers of the word. We want to do the word, all right? We want to put it into some kind of assignment, some kind of, some kind of practice, some kind of, kind of doing. So folks, we need to understand that belonging isn't a result of wearing a colored jersey. It isn't a result of identifying with the home team. It's not even a result of finding a group of people who we share some common activity with. No real belonging, real fitting in, transcends social needs. And it happens when followers of Christ function as the living body of Christ. It really begins by recognizing that we must be the church, not just go to church. It's good to go to church, whether in person or online. It's good to do that. We go to a building, the word is proclaimed. We go to a building, the Lord is worshiped. We sit, next, we sit next to each other. That's good, but that's not belonging. That's not belonging. Church attendance is no substitute for interdependent, authentic community. We're needed because we have strengths, and we have needs, we have weaknesses that God wants to bring other people in our lives to minister to. So, so how do I come to grips with the real me? Well, it begins by answering the question, who am I? I am in Christ. And in Christ, I have a new identity. I am a new person with a new relationship with the eternal God. I have a brand new way of seeing myself. And then it continues by understanding where do I fit in? In Christ, I got a, I'm part of a new body. I got a new family, all right? I've got a new security. That's where I fit in. Coming to grips with who we really are and where God has placed us. Let's bow our heads together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for these 
These practical truths that Paul gives us in the text of Romans chapter 12. Lord, not only, you know, Lord, not only telling us in verse 1 and 2 of you know, what you want most from our lives and how to get your best for our lives, but also addressing these kind of foundational issues of coming to grips with the real me. Lord, might we walk away from this place this morning with a, a deeper appreciation of who I am in Christ and where I fit in because I'm in Christ. And Father, for anyone that is here today that is not in Christ, that they've never, they've never come to the place where they've recognized Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, as their rescuer and director of their life, I pray today, Father, that they would seek somebody out, somebody that they know understands what that means to be in Christ, that they would seek that person out and say, you know, I need that new identity. I want to be part of that new body. I need that new, that, that new family. So, Father, might they seek that truth today and might, by the end of this day, might they put their faith, their trust in Jesus Christ as their rescuer, as their director, as their Savior, and as their Lord. Father, once again, we thank you for your word today. It's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. Harvest Lakeshore exists to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org.